Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and dedicated to being in right relationship with ourselves, one another, and with the planet. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so in the spirit of that heritage, if we're on um, the live stream, we greet one another in the comments. And if we're in the room, we greet our neighbors. The divine in us greets the divine in them. Please join me in saying the words by which we light the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today comes from Eleanor Roosevelt. I think at a child's birth, If a mother could ask a fairy godmother to endow it with the most useful gift, that gift would be curiosity. This congregation wrote a mission for itself to guide us as we move into the future together. And we wrote it on the wall. We say it every Sunday. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. So for our moment for beloved community this morning, I want to speak to you about the labor movement since this is May Day. Um, It's also Beltane, so happy Beltane to those who celebrate. But it's also May Day, happy May Day to those who celebrate um, the workers of the world unite. So I want to tell you about the Wobblies, which is the International Workers of the World, the IWW, was founded in 1905 by Big Bill Haywood and Eugene Debs. Eugene Debs was the spokesperson. He was a self-educated, passionate speaker. Um, This is the first union in the United States which allowed men, women, any race, any ethnicity to join. All workers united for uh, workers' rights. And this was the Gilded Age when uh, there were lots of billionaires who were running everything. (laughs) And the capitalism was being really uh, brutal to the workers. And so they united and... um, the billionaires fought back, of course, using all the, um, all the mechan- mechanisms of the state. But so Eugene Debs, this was um, later on when World War I had started. He had been organizing and preaching. Um, he ran for president five times in the Socialist Party, and which wasn't so- socialism like people think of it today. It's like more like communitarianism. And... Um, he started preaching about the war in his speeches. And what he said was, the fat cats tell you to do your patriotic duty. And it's strange how their patriotic duty never leads them to the trenches. But your patriotic duty is supposed to lead you to the trenches. It's amazing how if you have money, 
You don't have to go die in the war. Um, He got tried for sedition and put in jail for 10 years for saying that. So things have gotten better because now you can say the war is stupid or whatever you want to say and you don't get put in jail. People might argue with you. You have a good discussion. That's what we're talking about today in the sermon. But anyway, I want you to know about the IWW and Eugene Debs. Um, Joe Hill was one of their organizers. You've probably heard the song, Joe Hill, if you're of a certain age. He was executed basically for being a union organizer, but um, they trumped up charges of murder for him. Uh, He was, anyway, that's another long story. Joe Hill, look him up, look up Eugene Debs. You'll go down a, a delightful rabbit hole of labor history. So that's our moment for beloved community today. Good morning. I'd like to invite all the children to come up for the story for all ages. This book is about how everybody, everybody, everybody has a voice and how everybody, 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 hi Rowan, can use that voice to be helpful. This book is called Speak Up. You got it. This is written by Miranda Paul and illustrated by Ebony Glenn. There are times when we should be quiet. There are days for letting go. But when matters seem important, speak up. Let others know. With so many ways to speak up, like a sign, a smile, a shout, if we could make things better, Why not let our words come out? When you're being introduced and they get your name all wrong, speak up. Say your name. You are you and you belong. When someone spreads a rumor and you're sure it isn't true, speak up. State the facts. Truth can open up our view. When a rule just is not fair and has gotten much too old, speak up, work for change. Justice comes when we are bold. When a person wounds another with their words or with their fist, speak up, be an ally. Safety comes when we persist. If you see someone who's lonely or they're having a bad day, what do you think you should do? You got it. Speak up. Share a moment. Kindness goes a long, long way. When you make a small mistake, even if you didn't know, speak up. Say you're sorry. Learn to listen. Learn to grow. When you have a special day or you're giving, given something neat, speak up. Shout your thanks. Gratitude makes life oh so sweet. When you're sad or packed with feelings and the world seems dark and gray, speak up. Ask for help. Friendship chases clouds away. When trees and creatures suffer from our quick and careless choices, speak up. Rally others. Nature needs 
our mindful voices. When you know a scary secret about someone getting hurt, speak up. Tell a grown-up. Courage sometimes means you blurt. Blurting is like whenever somebody is trying to tell you something and you say, hey, like that. You interrupt them. But sometimes it's okay whenever it's important. When the group is taking one path, but you know it's not the way, speak up. Change directions. Leaders don't always obey. While some people speak up loudly and your words might whisper quiet, one voice can make a difference. So don't hesitate. Go try it. Our meditation reading for today is from The Once and Future King by T.H. White. The best thing for being sad, replied Merlin, beginning to puff and blow, is to learn something. That's the only thing that never fails. You may grow old and trembling in your anatomies. You may lie awake at night listening to the disorder of your veins. You may miss your only love. You may see the world about you devastated by evil lunatics or know your honor trampled in the sewers of baser minds. There is only one thing for it, then, to learn. Learn why the world wags and what wags it. That is the only thing which the mind can never exhaust, never alienate, never be tortured by, never fear or distrust, and never dream of regretting. Learning is the only thing for you. Look what a lot of things there are to learn. Now's the time in our service when we enter into an attitude of prayer and meditation where we speak or listen to God as we understand God, or where we listen to our inner wisdom, or just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. Let us enter into what our forebear, Ralph Waldo Emerson, said was the wise silence. As we continue in an, added, in an attitude of meditation, you're invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope, remembrance, or determination.
when I was in my 20s, I was a chaplain at a women's college in South Carolina. And into my office, almost at the beginning of every semester, a young woman would come in just distraught. And I would say, you know, what's going on with you? And she would say, my roommate (laughs) hates me. And finally, I learned to ask, where is your roommate from? And they would say something like, Massachusetts. (laughs) And I would say, she doesn't hate you. She's just speaking from another culture than the culture you grew up in where the way she speaks to you is perfectly normal for friends where she's from and not normal for friends where you're from. So today I'm talking to you about speaking directly with compassion and curiosity because that's part of our covenant of healthy relations, that we aspire to speak directly to each other in a spirit of compassion and curiosity. And I just think it's ironic that someone who's raised in the Carolinas is going to talk to you about speaking directly because (laughs) I was raised not to do it. In the culture I was raised in, speaking directly is rude. And so um, I knew a, a lady who controlled her whole family with sighing. Like, she would walk past the dining room table when dinner was getting ready, and she would go, (sighs) and her daughters would instantly spring up and start setting the table. I just thought that was magic. (laughs) How can I acquire this power? I don't really want it anymore, but, man, she could get more done with a sigh. And I don't know if Texans are like this. I... I have not driven with enough native Texans to know this. But if a person from the Carolinas is riding with you and they know what exit you're supposed to get off on the highway and you go past the exit, like they're not going to say, our exit's coming up. They're going to look at the exit. (laughs) And you drive past the exit, then they're going to say, where are you going? Because that doesn't say you did anything wrong, because you might have formulated a whole other plan in your mind, and they want to respect that plan. So speaking directly is a conundrum. Um, In some of our experience, the people who speak most directly, are they do it when they're mad. And that's a hard way to go. But this, our whole covenant of healthy relations, you can find it on the website in the Values, Mission, Ends, and Covenant page that has a lot of the important stuff about what holds our church together on that page. And so I'm talking this morning about speaking directly. Um, so when we start to think about speaking directly, when we're not mad, we need, we need to talk to somebody. Communication needs to happen. A lot of times we'll practice the conversation in our head. I don't know if you do this or not. But sometimes you run the conversation in your head like a movie. But only your part of the communication is perfect in your head. You've got your arguments all put together 
you've got your words all kind. You've got everything all straightened out. And in the movie, in your head, the person listens to you and goes, oh, I'm sorry. I get it now. And I'm, you are so right. And I was so wrong. Is that likely to happen? No. It's not likely to happen. I had a client a long time ago. She called that Skull Cinema. She said, I'm, I was up all night watching Skull Cinema trying to figure out what to say to my boyfriend. So it might be fun and good to practice what you're going to say directly in a spirit of compassion and goodwill. Um, you just don't want to wallow there. You don't want to make it so that your side of the conversation is perfect, but you don't know what the other person's going to say. And a lot of times, um, here's what the therapist will tell you to do. They'll tell you to say, when you do such and such, fill in the blank, when you do this, I feel fill in the blank. Okay. Like when you're late to every meeting we have, I feel dismissed or when you roll your eyes, when I'm conversing with you, I feel like you have contempt for what I'm saying. Or when you, you get, you get it. When you, I feel that's, um, the way you're supposed to do it. And it works sometimes. (laughs) How you speak to somebody else is usually, um, a product of your family growing up, unless you've done a lot of work on yourself. It's a product of your family and your family's rules and regulations. And every family has a set of rules and regulations. A therapist will call it the family treaty sometimes, that you have certain things you're allowed to be and certain things you're allowed to say. And um, like you have to be the pretty sister and you have to be the smart sister. Or you have to be the brother who wears red, and you have to be the brother who wears black, and you, whatever. Um, families have weird little rules. And you can tell when you've broken a little rule, because the temperature in the room drops about 10 degrees. When people who are dating, meeting each other's families, this is a time when it might happen. Um... Many of you know the singer Steve Earle. I love Steve Earle. And he said whenever he's drunk, he feels like he knows how to speak Spanish. (laughs) And he was meeting a girlfriend's mother, and he thought he would try out his Spanish. (laughs) The temperature in the room dropped because his Spanish was terrible. I mean, it was non-existent. He was drunk. But you can tell when you've broken the family treaty because everyone kind of pulls away from you. Um, Disagreeing with one another is something that is carried in the family treaty. Everybody knows in a family how to disagree and how each person in the family is allowed to disagree. Like sometimes one of the people in the family, they only disagree with contempt. Like they'll say, oh, that's ridiculous. I don't know if any of you had any contempt people in your family. And some people in the family disagree with a sweet kind of passive-aggressive thing where they go, Oh, you don't think that. (laughs) You can tell what you're supposed to think. Some people just don't disagree at all. They just go, whatever. 
And some people will just say out loud, I disagree with you. This is why we date. So we can figure out. Because every relationship is a clash between cultures. You know what I mean? Everyone comes from their own family culture. And you have to work it out. And love can keep you together. But you just have to work out. Like, when I lean forward and raise my voice, it doesn't mean I'm mad at you. It just means I'm engaged in the conversation. Oh, okay. You're engaged in the conversation. Still feels like you're yelling at me. Raised voices, interruptions. Some families you can interrupt. In some families, interrupting is not okay. So you just have to work these things out with your friends, with each other. Some people tease in a kind of a mean way, and it's okay with some people. I remember getting to know a dear friend um, long, long ago, and she teased me in kind of a mean way, and I just turned around and I said, I don't like to be spoken to that way. And she said, oh, okay. And so she never did it again, and that was a, that was a way that it worked out okay. And we got to stay friends. So that's speaking directly in a spirit of compassion. Sometimes the, the curiosity has to um, be called in with your will. Because when you are a, a person who's grown up in a certain way, you feel like the way your family did it is the standard for how things should be done, usually. And everybody else is just a little weird. And if not wrong... And so, um, sarcasm is like that. Some, some families love sarcasm, kind of an ironic remove about everything. And, and for some people, that feels cold. And other families disagree or talk with, um, with victimhood. And the person who's the biggest victim, the most offended person in the room, gets all the attention. I haven't been at any of your houses. I just have to say this. You're looking at me with deep suspicion. I'm just talking in generalities. You're looking at me like... So, compassion just means that you try to figure out what the other person, where the other person's coming from, what they feel, why they're doing what they're doing. And sometimes if you just ask questions about their, the way their family did things, you'll find out um, why they're doing things the way they're doing it. And then you can make a decision about how you want to keep communicating with them. And sometimes you can explain to them why what they're doing bothers you. And you can say, in my family, everybody yelled all the time. And so when you lean toward me and raise your voice, even though it doesn't mean yelling to you, it feels like yelling to me. And my heart shuts down like a little fern. And then they can make a decision about whether they want to keep raising their voice with you or not. Does that make sense? Curiosity is the best way to approach almost any situation where you have to communicate in a difficult way. Another thing that you do when you're communicating in a difficult way, which makes it better, is you go, this is difficult, I need to talk to you, and it's, and it's about a little bit of a hard thing. I'm worried about talking to you about this. Can we, can we make a time to talk? And sometimes they don't want to talk to you about it. And sometimes it's not worth talking to you about. 
like the way people drive. So you've all been in a car with somebody who drives differently from you. Yes? Now, making sweet suggestions and even speaking directly um, is usually more trouble than it's worth. And so what's best to do, really, is just close your eyes. Close your eyes and zip it. Yeah. Um, So you have to make a decision about whether you love the person enough to communicate with them directly or also whether it's worth it to communicate with them directly because sometimes telling somebody how to drive really bothers them. I've noticed. (laughs) And so best just to live with what they're doing instead of, and you know, especially if the person's just never had a wreck and they've been driving for 50 years, odds are good that they're going to keep doing fine and they do fine without you in the car, (laughs) you know? So speaking directly, um, a lot of times you can do it. So you say, boy, this sure is a hot topic. This sure is difficult. We're both kind of on our alerts while we're talking about this. So let's slow it way down and let's speak as specifically as we can. Like there was a couple in counseling and she said, I feel like you don't love me. And he said, why? She said, you don't kiss me anymore. He said, I kiss you every time I leave for work. And she said, oh, it's a little peck on the cheek like that. Okay, that's not really a kiss. And he kept it together. And he said, okay, what would feel like... I think he kept it together because the therapist was sitting right there staring at them. (laughs) What would feel like a loving kiss to you? And she said, I don't know, just a longer kiss. And the therapist said, about how long? Count the seconds. (laughs) And she went... About five seconds. Five seconds feels like a nice long kiss. And the therapist looks at him and says, can you do that? And he's like, of course. And so now she feels more loved because he's giving her a nice long kiss. It doesn't cost him anything. It's probably fun for him. He just had seen a lot of TV, like Rob and his wife, uh, Mary. Laura, thank you. Mary was her next show. <laughs> Laura, and, and they're on black and white TV in the 50s, and so they kiss like this. And so that's how you kiss when you go out the door. Nobody on TV ever gave a five-second long kiss. But that's what would feel better, and she asked for it directly with help. Stay on the topic at hand. So if you're speaking directly to somebody... Don't start bringing up everything else. Don't start emptying the trash bag all over the floor when you're speaking with somebody. And, and it's really important when somebody's speaking directly with you not to go, well, what about you? You did this bad thing. That's not fair. So you're, somebody's trying to talk to you because they love you. Even in church, 
you're not married to the person. They're trying to speak to you directly because they love you and they love the church. And whenever your meeting goes over time and their meeting can't start on time and you do it over and over again, they're going to have some communication with you possibly or else they'll just diss you in the parking lot, which is not fair. They'll have some communication with you and say, when your meeting goes over time, over and over again, I feel like you think my group's not important. Can we, can we fix that? Because whenever we have a problem like this, it's not your problem or my problem. It's our problem. It's our problem. We have a problem together. Can we speak about this directly? Compassion and goodwill. Can we disagree with respect? So, another good thing is to ask questions. One good question is, um, especially with teenagers, what would happen if, is a good question. Also with spouses, also with siblings, what would happen if, what would happen if you came and asked me for the car keys in a way that communicated that you respect me instead of that you felt entitled to the car keys? What would happen if you're teaching a five-year-old to tie a shoe or a three-year-old? It's been a long time since I've had little kids. I don't know when they learned to tie their shoes. But you go, what would happen if you just looped this around like this? Instead of, what would happen if we did this? And if somebody's talking to you about a problem that they have with somebody else, you can say sometimes, if you love them enough, what would happen if you told your boss, blah, 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 blah. And then they'll tell you why that wouldn't work or that they've already tried it. That's fine. But you've asked a gentle question. And if you're disagreeing with somebody, uh, um, there are lots of good questions to ask. Not, what is the matter with you? That is not a good question. A good question to ask is something like, tell me why this is important to you. Help me understand your position better because I'm just not understanding it. How did you come to this? What's important to you about this? How does it feel when I disagree with you about this? Curiosity and respect. You're asking questions. What does this touch in you? What is uncomfortable for you about this? When someone says, and this is such a gift, and I think we talked about this last Sunday, when someone says to you, you hurt me by doing blah, 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 or when you do this, it, it makes me feel hurt. And for you to say, tell me more about how that feels to you. Instead of, well, I didn't mean to hurt you. That's your intention, your intention. Or I had no intention of hurting you. That's fine. That's your intention. But what the impact of what you did was hurt. Impact was hurt. Intention is one thing. Impact is another thing. And you're not necessarily a bad person. None of y'all is a bad person. I know that for sure. You're not a bad person. And so you can say, tell me more about that hurt. How did it, how did it strike you, what I said? I'm so sorry. Tell me more. I'm just giving you aspirational questions. You know, I'm from the Carolinas, so I'm never going to speak directly um, unless I really try. Actually, I do speak directly. 
I think it's all right. But speaking directly is hard. That's all I want to say this morning. Speaking directly to somebody is hard. And a spirit of compassion and goodwill, that's also hard. Especially when it's somebody you're married to because you know them so very well. And you know what they're going to say. And or if it's your sister or your brother, you know what they're going to say. And sometimes some conversations have been had four or five, 15 times. And so then you can maybe change things up by saying, why do you think we have had this conversation 15 times? That bothers me. Then you might not have a great conversation, but it'll be a different one from what you have had. (laughs) Just giving you suggestions, some things to try. Take it for what it's worth. Please join me in saying the words by which we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me. If you care to, you'll know the song by the second verse if you don't know it already. Let the life I lead speak for me. Let the life I lead speak for me. When I'm lying in my grave and there's nothing more to say, let the life I lead speak for me. Let the friends I've made. Let the friends I've made speak for me. Let the friends I've made speak for me. When I'm lying in my grave and there's nothing more to say, let the friends I've made speak for me. Let the love I give. Let the love I give speak for me. Let the love I give speak for me. When I'm lying in my grave and there's nothing more to say, let the love I give speak for me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.